Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 82 of NerdPod Generations. As always, I am one of your host, Steve Taylor, along with the lovely Al Johnson. Hello, sir. Hello, friends and enemies. Good to see you, buddy. We're ratcheting our way right up to 100. Yeah. It's coming it's up. Getting, man, it's getting so close. I know. I cannot believe it. We we got to figure out what we're actually going to do for episode 100. <sighs> I don't know. Because we did the, the Spider-Man thing for episode 50. The Spider-Man live stream thing, so we got to figure out what we're going to do. Because I'm not only excited for 100, uh-huh. I'm excited for episode 104. Because that means we'll have two full years of content in the books, mm-hmm. which is huge also. Mm-hmm. It's massive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I can't wait. So folks, once again, if you were listening to us for the first time, this is episode 82. So please go back, listen to the 81 previous episodes, which are nothing but pure gold, especially the ones where we rant and rave like last week, which oh, yeah. one of my favorite episodes ever, even though it went two hours, trust me, it is super entertaining. I thought the neighbors were going to call the cops on us. Like I thought I... you were going to give your wife a heart attack. <laughs> I woke her up at one point. Yeah. <laughs> and how many times did you have to plug the mic back in because you hit uh, the table? We had at least four disconnects. <laughs> that i had to edit around during the the episode last week well my my buddy billy at work he was listening to and he goes i've gotten to the he goes i haven't watched the the holiday special yet i told him how it went Uh like where where he would need to stop listening he goes i was getting through the guardians trailer and i heard Al get into one of his rants i was like dude you have no idea oh my god no idea what i was looking at it was impressive he's like yeah it was really entertaining that's what we'll have to do for episode 100 is we'll have to start like doing a camera recording of the actual we'll find something that we get angry about <laughs> like we both oh, there's get angry gonna about. be something yeah we'll figure something we're gonna have to yeah fit it just we'll, right we'll have to force watch the yeah. prequels or something like just i can't wait oh my god and folks you shouldn't you should be excited because not only is this going to be a great show next week is another reaction review episode. This time, it will be for Avatar Way of Water. It's not a Marvel movie this time? Not a Marvel go, movie. Wait, we do reviews of movies that aren't Marvel movies? Yes. That That's a thing where yes. we go Can out, we see it? the movie, and immediately review it? it. I don't I know. know. I know. So if this is your first time listening to us once again, we are not a spoiler-free show. Just to warn you ahead of time, 1,000% spoilers. Today, we're going to be talking about a movie... Um, Spirited, which is new on Apple Plus, there's a lot. There's some big spoilers in it that we're going to be giving away. So Although just the, so you know, the movie kind of gives away the spoilers on its own. I'll be honest, the one with Will Ferrell, I wasn't really expecting that. One. Oh, see, I saw that coming a mile and a half away. See, I, I don't know if I was just tired when I was watching it. Yeah. We'll t- we'll get more into we'll that. get into it. Okay, so we like to start every episode with what you've been watching, playing, reading. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to bring up the first thing because I think you're going to talk about it. Also, have you watched the trailer for The Last of Us? I just watched it tonight. Okay, so now I never played that game because I was a big Uncharted fan, and The Last of Us just looked like the exact same mechanics and aesthetic, just in a different story mm-hmm. and with zombies and whatnot, or not zombies infected, kind of zombies, yeah, kind of zombies. I have to say, this trailer looked unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like I think this show, if if it stays to the vibe from the trailer, which luckily seems very R-rated, mm-hmm. that looked amazing. It looked good. It I'm, looked really good. I'm very interested to see. I know very little. I know the big thing about the plot. Yeah, and, and so, I'm, like, I'm the same as you. I think yeah. you and I are in the same boat with that. Yeah, so like I'm very intrigued to see mm-hmm. where all this goes, and I just love Pedro Pascal. Oh, he's so great. So I'll fucking watch him in anything. But and... oh my god, like I watched that trailer, and when it was done, I was like, this, it almost looks like a Corman McCarthy, yeah. like The Road. It's yeah. like it felt very similar to that. I was yeah. like, holy cow, this is amazing. I'm watching this, and I'm like, just don't be The Walking Dead. Like that's all I need from you. Just don't. Yeah, be and I don't the think Walking it will Dead. be. Like, I'm hoping because I'm I. 
I'm in the minority here. I really don't like The Walking Dead. Mm. I think it's one of the biggest wastes of time, considering that there's like 15 seasons of the shit. See, I agree with you, except for the fact that I did enjoy it for the first like four seasons. I liked the first season. Yeah. I watched the first half of season two and I was like, fuck this. See, I think it should have been a limited series Mm -hmm. for three, four seasons. Get the story out because you're right. It just dragged and they kept introducing new idiots. and Yeah, they wouldn't actually pro- – like, okay, so again, granted, I did not watch to the point where the yeah. plot, quote-unquote, the plot could really grow and evolve. But I watched enough of it so that the, I should have been able to see the plot growing mm. in some capacity. And I just remember in the first season there was this great episode where they make it to the CDC and uh, there's a guy in there. And he talks through what's going on and, and how everyone is infected. And, and I was like, oh, so this is going to be the plot of the show. No. No, it's not. The plot of the show is going to be what happens in the world when the world dies. Yeah. And that is, it turns out, it's about the same as any other apocalypse story. Yeah. Where people revert to their worst form and no one can be trusted, and it's mm-hmm. one man and his family against the world. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I saw it 28 days later. It was better than this, mm. <laughs> you know? Like, no, exactly. And and then you get to season two, and the the layout of every episode is something's gonna happen, mm. nothing's happening. Something will happen, nothing's happening. Something will happen, nothing's happening. Mm. We get to the end of the episode. We promise something will happen. You start the next episode. We're going to quickly resolve that thing that we said was going to happen. And then we're going to spend two hours talking about nothing. Mm-hmm. And then rinse, repeat the at the very end of the episode, something dramatic's going to happen to get you to come back next week. And then it will be immediately resolved and we'll spend another full hour doing nothing. And then just to have a cliffhanger tacked on at the end. Yeah. I hated it. I hated it so much. Mm-hmm. I Once they opened that barn and it was like, yeah, the barn is full of fucking zombies. Duh. Fucking duh. Why did it take us six episodes to discover that the barn was full of fucking zombies? Fucking duh. Mm. what is this show this show is nothing and yeah so that's how i feel about the walking dead <laughs> that was a good tangent man i like that yeah but yeah so i'm excited for this show yes as it, long it as looks, it doesn't do that yes as long as it doesn't do that but just the tone and pedro Pascal. And yeah i do like nick offerman is playing uh one of the main characters which I, once again i don't know much about the story and i intentionally am not going to look into it yeah i want to go into this blind i know the big twist yes that they're the going to do at the end of the season yes um and I, I don't know. I'm intrigued. Uh, Leanna Mormont. I can't mm. remember her, her actual name, but she's she's the, the girl, Ellie. Mm. I want to say her Ellie. name is Ellie. Um, and she looks like she's going to be great in it. She, she looks sassy and mm. very different than the, the Mormont girl that we saw in Game of Thrones, who was just this tough bear of a girl. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm, I'm very interested. This looks like it has a great cast. Uh, I'm a little gun shy after things like Walking Dead and Resident mm. Evil, where like I didn't watch Resident Evil, but I've never heard anyone say, you know what's a great movie slash show? Resident Evil. Did I ever, did I ever tell you this is another tangent? Mm-hmm. Um, years ago, I went to the Dryden Theater to see uh, George Romero was there. He had a movie called Bruiser that mm-hmm. came out, and he was there promoting it, and he did a Q and A at the end. And somebody, it was right before Resident, it was either right before Resident Evil came out, or it was like right after, it was right around that time. Somebody said to him, they're like, what, did you, what do you think of Resident Evil? And he said, they came to me, and I literally wrote the best zombie script I've ever written in my life, and they said, we want to go in a different way. Mm-hmm. It's like, 
right there and then should have been like, if you're a zombie property and you go to the godfather of the zombie, the creator of the, the modern the, zombie. The modern zombie was created And by you George say Romero. we're going in a different direction, you're going in the wrong direction. Yeah, you don't know what you're talking you, about. Yeah, you have no fucking clue. Yeah, you're out of your goddamn mind. Yeah. That's like going to the, the people that made Batman the Animated Series. Being like, can you write us a, a superhero story? And they write you an amazing superhero story. And then they're like, well, but this doesn't have everything we want. Yeah. And it's like, you ass. You asked them to write a superhero story. They wrote you a great one. Take I it. did find out something. And luckily, this is thanks to the writer strike in the late 2000s. The guy who did the Resident Evil movies, Paul W.S. Anderson, I yeah. think his name is. He was all ready to make a Castlevania movie. But then the writer strike happened, and so it got kiboshed. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if he would have ruined Castlevania the way he ruined Resident Evil, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I just look I at like my mind. <laughs> it's all a blur. You know, it's like I know there are different movies, but I remember that Blood Rain movie that somehow Ben Kingsley on it. It had a lot of people in it. <laughs> like just like that whole era of Uwe Boll, Paul W S Anderson, yeah. or whatever. Like all these. All these idiots who don't know shit about Pokemon. And as bad as Blood Rain was, um, House of the Dead, Alone in the Dark, and Far Cry, all Uwe Bold movies, mm. were so much worse. And you look at, you watch the first one, you're like, they can't get worse than this. So who thought Uwe Bold could direct? I don't know. Who thought that? I'd, listen, to be fair, I've never made it all the way through one of his movies. Yeah. I made it through, I may have made it through In the Name of the King. Yeah, Which another, like, Statham was already a star, so was Ray Liotta. Yeah. It's like, how are you getting these people? How is this? You are a hack. And it's so bad. Yeah. It's, it's top to bottom bad. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it's all it's all false and hollow and The terrible. one thing I do love is that there was that point where he was so pissed about the fans hating he him. He was going to fight them. He was going to box them. <laughs> and I think he actually did box them. It was somebody. called Raging Bull. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> That was just the best. Like, it's just like, dude, you're so bad. Mm-hmm. You know you're a hack. Like, just admit it. Yeah. Just admit you're a hack. Yeah. And, and this is why when Monster Hunter came out a few years ago, I was like, fuck this. Because it read exactly like that. I had to see it. And, and it was terrible. It, of course it is. It was so Because you terrible. took a game that takes place in a fantasy realm and you dropped, it as if this was the 90s, U.S. Marines in. Yep. <laughs> like, that was a thing to do. It's not a thing to do. Why are you doing this? And the thing that was the most irritating is you had... Tony Ja playing, oh, like from the video game character from Monster Hunter, and it's like he was just a side character because you threw yeah, in all because you had this as Marines. Yeah, this you isn't had, Doom. You had like, the Marines, and then you had Ron Perlman. Yeah, out of nowhere. I'm like, Ron what Perlman, is going on? Ron Perlman always shows up in this shit. He does. Also, in in the name of the King, Ron Perlman. Yeah. like they just, they just show up in this shit. And, and I love Ron Perlman, but it's just like, man. I like Ron Perlman when he's done well. See yes. Pacific Rim. See Hellboy. These are movies that I like to have Ron Perlman yeah. in them. But uh, there have been just as many. I've seen Season of the Witch. It's really oh, bad. That is so bad. It's a really bad movie. But that you know, That's one of the... It's bad, but you have to watch it because it's a really great Nicolas Cage. Like, over-the-top Nicolas Cage. He doesn't Cage get over-the-top enough. For, like, for me, the whole thing was just so stupid. Like, mm. there was no good acting. Everybody was sleepwalking. The fact that you have... Ron Perlman and Nick Cage both playing Knights Templar, and neither of them have accents of any kind, let alone English <laughs> accents. There's no accent. There's just no accent. <laughs> this movie is so bad. It's so it. bad. I love it. All right, so what have you been watching? <laughs> so so I, I, I've been listening to the Always Sunny in Philadelphia podcast, oh, nice. which that got is me fun. watching I've caught a couple Sunny. Of them. 
Uh, so I, I, I'm just reminded that of how much I love Sunny because I can it's just put it on show. the background and it'll just play and like I don't have to think about anything. It's adult cartoons. It's yeah. everything happens and it's all canonical and the characters will reference it later, but none of it has consequences yeah. <laughs> and it's just farcical to the extreme. And that show still is one of my favorite lines ever in the um, hundred dollar baby mm-hmm. when Sweet D goes, "I'll eat your babies, bitch." <laughs> I lo- every time I hear that, I cry. Well, that's, I laugh so hard. That was why I, I started watching the, or I guess listening to, watching, I don't know what you would call it, the podcast that they do together. Okay. Because it's just the three of them talking about the show, and they still play, like you can tell they play amplified versions of mm-hmm. themselves on the show. Oh, yeah. But those characters are still very organic to these individuals. Mm-hmm. And so it's like... Glenn Howerton isn't a sociopath in real life, but you can see how he builds to that from yes. his regular personality. And uh, it's just, they're, it's so funny to listen to them. I got to an episode that has uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda in it, and oh, they're nice. talking about Dayman and Nightman, Nightman cometh. And it's it's so funny because I'm reminded of every time I've met creators that I respect mm. and admire. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, what do I say? What do I ask them? Mm-hmm. I, this is going to be my one chance to ask them a question. i got to come up with a good one. What do I do? And you're, I'm listening to Lin-Manuel Miranda interview these guys. And he's like, so you got to tell me like your entire backstory and theater and all these other things. And Glenn Howardin, who like went to Juilliard, he's like, yeah, I did these things and blah, blah, blah. And Charlie Day and Rob McElhaney are pretty much like, yeah, we're enthusiastic, but uh, not – like super huge musical guys. Did you know that there is an OG episode of Law and Order, the original series that, that they're been both of them are in? Yeah, yeah. I have like Charlie I've Day is it. the kid they just interview off to the side, but Rob McElroy, he's like the one on trial. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing it because I saw that after It's Always Sunny came out. I'm like, holy fuck! Yeah, that's kind of weird. Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> it's really, it's really weird. funny. But yeah. it's it's especially funny because like the first time that I watched Sunny all the way through. I didn't know about the inner relationships between mm. any of the characters. So, you know, you're watching it and you get like five seasons into it. And then you find out that Charlie and the waitress are married in real life. In real That's life. his actual wife. Yep. I was like, this is fucking hilarious. And Mac and D are married. Mac in real and D life. are married. So like yep. the episode where they're trying to figure out who knocked D up. Right. <laughs> and it's, just, it's him. It's this guy. <laughs> oh my God. No, that show is so great. Like rickety cricket and, um, what is the name of the, the brothers in bathrooms? Oh, my God. The, Mc, uh, the McPoyles. McPoyles. Oh, the, that is... That whole family yeah. is some of my favorite characters. And, like, they get these... You get these character actors who like are that they're they're not well known people, yeah. and they go on to have these big careers. So, like, you have um, uh, Bill Ponderosa. Mm. is one of the many drug addicts in the show. Uh, he's the dad in Young Sheldon, and I find oh, yeah, that to be the right. funniest thing in the world. Uh, my favorite, though, is Jimmy Simpson, who plays uh, uh, one of the McPoyles, okay. the less weird of the McPoyles, uh, the blonde one. Yep. And he's gone on to do fucking Westworld, yep. and he was in uh, Black Mirror. He's in, like, fucking everything. He was and I, in that movie, The Invention of Lying. He yeah. played the Coca-Cola rep. I, I love Jimmy Simpson. Yeah. I, he's one of my favorite modern character actors, and it's always a delight to see him. And whenever he comes up in Sunny, it's just like... Just <laughs> them in those, in those in small bathrobes. I... It's just the funniest the, damn thing. When he's walking around, he has the eye patch, oh, and it's just this really badly drawn-on eye. And it's, <laughs> what is happening? It's like, so there's great. so many moments where you're just like, what the fuck is going on? See, and as much as I enjoy that show, I have not watched it lately, which I, I really need to go and, and 
watch some of the older seasons, they need to pull a Seinfeld mm-hmm. and be just, like, go out, like, before it starts to lose yeah. its luster. Just go I'm out. amazed they're still making new seasons. Yeah. Honestly. Honestly. Like, not for nothing, Dan DeVito's getting a little long in the tooth to be doing this kind of nonsense. So I, I'm like, and I love Frank. Don't get me wrong. Oh I'm not God. saying they should Frank retire out anybody. Frank is one of the funniest still one of the best things ever. ever. Well, it's so funny. It's one of those shows where, <laughs> because of the way that I've watched it, and because of the internet, mm. I have the hardest time differentiating seasons. Mm. So you get big things like, oh, this is the season where Max fat. Or this is the season where Max ripped. ripped yeah. <laughs> and you just like, okay, I can remember that. But like all the other ones blend together. So you're watching it and it's like, oh, I didn't remember that Dennis got married in season five. I thought yeah. that was like a season 10 storyline. Because there's no like threats. No. Like it's, it's all individual stories. Yeah, so exactly. It really is hard yeah. to remember. But they always come back to it. Like at one point mm. there's an episode where Frank wants to marry a hooker and... Uh, Dennis doesn't want to be around the hooker because she does crack, and he knows that's a trigger for her. That's right. And by the end of the episode, he wants to do crack. And all of this is a joke because previously, three seasons earlier, Dennis was addicted to crack. Dennis and Deagle on welfare. That's does it right. come up ever? No, no, not besides as a joke, but it's hilarious. Was that second? They have a second season. They have a second season. Yeah. Yeah. Because I forget Dan DeVito. Wasn't in the first season. Wasn't in the first season. Yeah. They brought him in the second. Yeah. And Which just, I do love that story where they I listened to Rob on I, I think it was Kimmel, and they came to him after the first season. They said you need to put a big name in. How about Danny DeVito? He goes, we don't want Danny DeVito. He goes, well, how about this? You put Danny DeVito in, or you want you a second season? Show. <laughs> oh, I love Danny DeVito. Let's get him up. <laughs> Let's get it. And then he ends up being the greatest thing in yeah. the show. He becomes this linchpin where like yeah. the show is him and Charlie together yeah. is comical. And it's it's one of those things where when you're watching season one. It's like, oh, this works yeah. as a concept, as exactly. a as an as an idea. This works. When Danny DeVito is introduced as a character, everything goes like three to five steps up. Yeah. Like it's it's not just like a oh, this is a little better. It's massively better. Yeah. And it's not because it wasn't good to begin with. It's just an amplification of how good I it love was. Danny DeVito. That man is a national treasure. He's so I good. just watched something today where they were talking about Pulp Fiction, how it never would have been made without him. Yeah, he was a producer on yeah. Pulp Fiction. And he was like the main driving force to get it to help get it made. It's like yeah. oh, yeah, love that man. There's a great interview with him and his daughter. Uh-huh. Where, uh, it's one of those wired uh, lie detector interviews uh-huh. where they're hooked up to a lie detector and the other one gets to ask them questions. And it's just a really delightful conversation between the two. And it, <laughs> he's like, have I ever embarrassed you in front of a date? And she like goes on. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do remember doing that. And it's like, Which, to think how funny that household had to be, because I love Rhea Perlman after, like, after Cheers. Mm-hmm. She would kill me in cheers. Like, I'd be in stitches. So her and Danny DeVito was your parents? Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know they fought a lot, so that probably wasn't great, but so, I can't even imagine. Yeah. I can't even imagine. All right, so we need to move on because we got a loaded show. We have we have two topics we're going to talk of, a third maybe. Possibly. Possibly. Possibly okay. waiting in the wings. So we need to talk about Willow. Mm-hmm. Yes, because that has series. been a long time coming. Um, we're three episodes in now that we've watched. Mm-hmm. If those of you who are unaware, I believe it's 1987, 88, somewhere around there is when the um, original movie came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was story by George Lucas, directed by Ron Howard. One of my favorite fantasy movies ever. Very underrated fantasy movie. Val Kilmer, Joanne Whaley, who shortly became Kilmer after that because he got married, Warwick Davis. Loaded, awesome movie. 88. 88, thank you. Well, they finally decided to make a sequel, and wisely, they made it a TV show. Yes. And wisely, they not only made it a TV show, they made it a dark really TV show. Really good TV okay. show. So it starts going by the age of the main character, 
I know Willow is the main character, but the main thread line is in the movie, there's this baby, Alora Dannon, who's going to become this empress, who's going to like destroy all of darkness mm-hmm. and like save the world. And now takes place where the girl who's Alora Dannon is like 20? 20-ish. I'd, 20-ish. I'd rate her between 17 and 20. Yeah. So even though it's 30 plus years later... It's 17 or 20 years yeah. in their timeline. Yeah, they, they, they're they kind of cagey about how long it's actually been. Yeah. But the implication that I read is that it's been about 25-ish years. <laughs> I'm sorry, but after talking about It's Always Sunny and you saying the implication, I just... <laughs> um, all right. Um, I was kind of wondering how they were going to talk about um, Mad Mardigan, which was Val Kilmer's character. Because yes. obviously he can't play that character again. Yes. Um, so they had him leave to find this... Um, plate armor. Plate armor. And we don't find out the plate armor until the second episode. But the first episode, we know he left on this quest. He's gone. So, like, we're we're introduced to his kids. Yes. Uh, Eric, which I love that one of them is named Eric. That's yes. fucking Eric and Kit. Eric and Kit. And uh, Eric is in love with this muffin girl who works in the kitchens. Who's just named Dove. Whose name he calls Dove. Because he doesn't know her name. He calls her Dove. Yeah. Uh, it turns out her name is Brunhilda, but it's not really. Yes. Um, we'll get back to that. And uh, no one knows except for um, the queen, the queen, who is Sorsha, who uh-huh. was the bad guy turned good guy love interest of Elkomer in the in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, she knows, and the woman who runs the kitchen, who pretty much raised Brumhilda, mm-hmm. knows. Knows, and Matt Mardigan knew. He knew, but no one else knows yeah. because her life would be in danger. Right. So the 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 big story is that this muffin girl is of course a Laura Dannon because we all look around yes. and we're like, yeah, that she's clearly a Laura Dannon. Everybody everybody we can all agree she's a Laura Dannon. Yeah, okay. And she is. Yes. But Sorsha, they haven't really gotten into the why after 3 episodes, but Sorsha really is not a fan of magic. And yeah. goes above and beyond. She gets Finrazel and uh the other witch, the the fairy witch, I can't mm-hmm. remember her name. To create a giant barrier around Tears Lean mm. to make it so that no magical items or people can get in. And she decides that the best way to take care of Laura Dannon is to hide her identity even from her mm-hmm. and put her in the kitchens. And meanwhile, Willow's like, Well, we gotta teach her magic. And mm-hmm. Sorcerer's like, No, we don't have to teach her magic. And so fast forward, 18 some odd. See, the years. only thing I can think of with that is since Sorsha's mother was the evil this witch, is this is what I've also come up with. I'm assuming that's why she doesn't like magic. And she also tells Kit at one point that Bavmorda's evil lurks in all of them. Yes. And it's just part of their bloodline. They can't get away from it. It's just part of who they are. And that, that evil is in all of them. Yeah, because Sorsha, in the beginning of that movie, mm-hmm. was she's, killing innocent people. She's hard into evil. Yeah. <laughs> she's big and evil. Big and evil. Yeah. It took Vel Kilmer's luscious lips to get her to turn out of it it took the 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 what is it the the dust of broken hearts oh yes (laughs) oh god i love that i just i just look at kevin pollack trying to hit on with a cat yes (laughs) i love you i'm waiting for the brownies the brownies got to come back at some point i remember seeing kevin pollack in the trailer trailer. so we're gonna see Yeah. yeah Because the brownies are always that moment that when everybody, anybody ever asks me, what do you think of Will? I'm like, I love it. The brownies are going to be a dividing point. <laughs> like, you're either going to like the brownies or you're going to hate yeah. the brownies. And I like the brownies. I so love it. it works no, that, for me. I, yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. It um, doesn't hurt that one of them is Kevin Pollack, who is well, that's fucking true. great. Um, but anyway, so the, the, the big plot of Willow is that Kit has 
uh, been betrothed to Flash Thompson, mm-hmm. and he is more like Zero from uh, Grand Budapest than he is Flash Thompson in this. Uh, Tony, Tony Revolori. Yeah. Uh, he's actually really good in this. I I had forgotten he, how much I like him as an actor because I hated his Flash Thompson yeah. so much, but he's really good in this. And it was... For me, he was a slow build. Because mm-hmm. in that first episode, he doesn't really have anything to say. No. And he kind of looked really awkward, which he's supposed to look awkward. Yeah, he's supposed to be very mousy, very yeah. timid. He's one of those, you bring shame to our family because you're not a man. But he's just like a bookish type. He yeah. knows all the stuff about magic and before anybody it else It seems does. like he's going to become some magical Yeah, he game. has some kind of magic yeah. in him. And he, he can, like, understand languages. And, he like, seems to know all languages somehow. Yeah. They'll they'll come up against some magical ancient language and he'll read it like it's English. And yeah. everybody's like, oh, that's weird. So it's like, I, there's got to be something building to him. And he had a nice little ending to this episode Dude. three. So that is definitely really building. Really good ending, yeah. That is definitely building. Episode three. I can't wait to get into this episode. That's amazing. So while they're all at this party, yes, and uh, Kit is basically throwing a fit about because she's a she she pulls she pulls the Disney brave version in Willow. Yeah, well, she 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 reads as bisexual or lesbian. Yes, she has this friend Jade, who's my favorite character. Yes, uh, played by Aaron Kellyman, who was in. Falcon Winter Soldier. Falcon Winter Soldier. Um, we'll get into the, the lesbian thing. Yeah. Because I, I, I think they had a missed opportunity. We'll talk about that. Yeah. But uh, so between one thing and another, Jade's mm. going off to do training. Kit's being forced into marriage. This whole party flies way out of hand. Mm. And then a bunch of evil wizards show up. Oh and it gets God. far the worse. <laughs> they... Before we get into it, you finish the synopsis. Yes. So the Gales show up. Also, I love the names. Oh, you know, yeah. like after I don't get me wrong, I love Tolkien. I fucking love Tolkien. But every once in a while, you encounter a name and you're just like, blah, 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 blah. yeah. And it's like the Gales. I can do the Gales. Yeah. And the, the Gales crone. sounds good. The Crone. This sounds good. Yeah. I can get behind all this. So the Gales work for the Crone. They're four evil mages, all of whom seem to have had their eyes either destroyed or taken or and enhanced in one capacity or another. They also have a kind of a Hellraiser feel to them. Yeah. Um, and there's a, a nice big fight. Uh, this dude Borman is let out of the prison in the basement. In the three episodes, there's already been more action than the entire first season of Rings of Power. Yes. Easily. Easily. Th- episode three alone is almost... Yes. So episode three is called the Battle of Whatever. Like The, sla- the Slaughtered... Um, slaughtered Lamb. Lamb, yeah. yeah. Um, but so so... Long story short, the Gales take Eric. Yeah. And now a adventuring party has to be put together to go and find him. Let's be put together. And so you have Kit and you have Jade and you have Graydon is kind of forced yeah. into it by his dad. You have Borman, who was Mad Morgan's squire. Which that's my favorite character yeah. in the show. Uh you have a bunch of old men who yes. are just cannon fodder to be killed off. And then you have Alora Dannon, who is Eric's girlfriend, who Sneaks, sneaks into out. the group, yeah. And she walks through a magical barrier. And everybody's asking her, like, have you ever done anything magical? And she's like, no. And I'm like, <laughs> the big yeah. barrier that you walked through? That wasn't, no? Okay, that's fine. Um, so, but this is this has now become, mm-hmm. instead of your traditional damsel in distress story, it's your damn sir in distress story. <laughs> damn sir. <laughs> and, and so uh, Eric has been whisked away, and now mm-hmm. everybody has to go and save him. And that's kind of the build of the story. They they meet Willow, who is going to show them how to save Eric. And when Willow sees Alora Dan, and he's like, "Oh, I know exactly who you are." Yeah. 
And now it's become about two things. It's yes. about we have to train Alora Dannon so we can go to the immemorial city where Eric is also being held and we can overthrow the crone. But we also have to go and save Eric, who happens to be in the immemorial yes. city where the crone lives. So it's like, oh, <laughs> these work out well. Um, and you have, uh, what's his name? Barrington? Borrington? Ballantyne. So you have Ballantyne, who's the commander of the, the armed forces. He is infected by magic. Yes. Me, yeah. and Which, the makeup effect. That was good. That was good. So that, but that's like the gist yeah, of the show is, is you show. have like individual like storylines going on yeah. throughout, and like there's this implication that Willow's wife and son have died. Yeah, and only his, his daughter's his, still there. Mims is still Mims alive. Is still there, but the other two, but the other two are gone. Yeah, and something really bad Which, happened to the Nelwins. And and it seems like it's something that will come up. Yeah. Well, when they put the barrier up, it seems like that took away a lot of the protections mm. because then there was that. A gang of marauders that attack them right outside. Yeah, like the bone rates or whatever they're called. It's very similar to me of um, in Dread and Judge Dread, how Mm -hmm. you have the city and then outside the city is like the wasteland and it's overrun by just evil gangs and whatnot. So I'm wondering if that's what happened to Willow and that kind of added to the strife between him and Sorsha. Yeah, because he's like, we're like out here. And, and you, you put this barrier up. You took the one thing that could protect us, and you told me I couldn't teach it to protect us, yeah. and you won't give it to us to protect us. So yeah. what do you want me to do? And so, I, like, I love this show. It's I great. love this show. It's great. I'm head over heels for it. I had some issues in the first episode. Mm-hmm. One of the issues, and, okay, so I have two main issues. They're going too far to make Kit a bitch. Okay. It's like, you're, like, how much they're having her give a Lord Dan and shit. Mm-hmm. Every time she just seems like a spoiled brat, and it's like you're going a little too hard on that. Like, if they tone that down a little bit, because mm-hmm. her character is one of the few that I'm not like in love with. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like she's okay, and Alora Dannon's character, I just think she should have had a British accent. I don't know. Like, listening to her talk, she just sounds like a dumb 18 year old American, and it's like. If you would have given her that British accent, she still could have had the exact same beats, but it would have given her that air of like authority, authority, and 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 you know she's an empress, and it would have regality, and it's a that's a stupid gripe, yeah. Because really, the one of my gripes they they fixed in the first episode because I hated the fact that Sorsha was treating her daughter completely opposite the way she was raised. Like Sorsha was raised a warrior, she was never raised to be beautiful and pretty, kind of like how they were treating Arya in the mm-hmm. first season of, of Game of Thrones. But luckily, when they were putting the fellowship together, she knew enough to say, "You need to go and help." And she gave her her kick-ass sword. And she sword. gave her the the badass sword, which I love. Yeah. So I'm they fixed that problem because at first I'm like, oh, "God damn," you know they're. And then, you know, the speech at the dinner was very much like Brave, where she's like, I should fight for myself and I get married. And it's like, and then they fix it at the end, though. So I was like, okay. Yeah. You fix it at the end of episode one. It didn't continue. Mm -hmm. Because if they would have, like, if she would have continued to say, no, you need to stay here and you need to, you know, you're a princess. And I would have been a little irritated. Yeah. But them fixing that quickly, I was like, okay. Well, one of the things I found interesting, because, like, you you meet the twins, Kit and Eric, pretty much one right after the other yes and uh the they're both mad mardigan Mm -hmm. (laughs) like they're both very similar to mad mardigan in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. i was joking with kelly i was like yeah the only difference between kit and mad mardigan is the dick like she got everything from her dad except the dick and Mm -hmm. uh like i i agree with you i think that they could have amplified that even more because like there's an idea of mad mardigan being kind of like he blows everybody off for his own thing yeah 
but he was never like when he's disagreeing with Willow, he doesn't take Willow seriously, which yeah. I guess you can read with the Allura Dannon thing. But after a while, he does kind of forge this friendship with Willow. Whereas with Kit and Allura, there's the sense of like Kit knows Allura's for real, and mm. she's still in denial about it. Yeah, and it's like, well, you found the like at the end of episode two, Allura makes a giant bush grow, and Kit finds it the next morning. Yeah. And so she knows that this is a thing, and she audibly tells us as an audience that she knows this is a thing, and yet the episode is Borman trying to convince her yeah. not to believe it. And I'm just like, okay, all right. Episode three was the one that I had issue with. Mm. Episode one and two I, I liked almost unanimously. There mm. wasn't really anything in it that I didn't like. Episode three was when I started getting into like the, okay, that wasn't a great camera mm. shot. That wasn't a great edit. That got a little sloppy there. How did this happen? Where did they come from? When did that occur? Mm. Those people just showed up out of nowhere. Why did you let that happen? Why did this happen? Mm. Why was Willow's smoke thing turned into this chance for all of the bad guys to get up? What, how did, what, what's, what's going on? Yeah, that smoke thing was a little weird. Yeah, so there but were the just, fight scenes were great. The fight scenes were really good yeah. and well choreographed. I just There were a few moments of bad filmmaking that yes. I was like... And as much as I liked the fight at the end, it had like Thor-level lighting of just like... Oh, it was what's very happening? Yeah, it was I can't very see. I can't see anything yeah. of what's happening. So I can see that action is happening and it looks good and thematically it's good and the music is resonating and all of that. I can't really see. You need to jack the lumens up just a little bit. Yeah. I did love the slow build they did during the three episodes where you don't see Willow do any magic and then he unleashes it mm -hmm. at the end of that third episode. You're like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was an awesome. The implication is that it's. His magic is tied to his life force. Yes. And it's killing him to use it. And so everybody's like, why don't you use your magic? And he's like, Pfft. and he won't answer the question, but he'll like move on. Yeah. And yeah, no, we're going we're gonna to see real soon why yeah. why he doesn't use magic more. I can't wait. Um, I can't wait. The build of this show is so good. I'm just so excited about like the, the look, the feel for something that was as innocuous as Willow, mm. where... 2017 there wasn't a digital copy of willow there yeah, wasn't a blu-ray no. copy of willow you could not buy it on anything besides dvd i know because i looked yep. it wasn't available until disney released it mm -hmm. now granted disney does their vault thing which is kind of a you know red herring so that you have stupid. to deal with but willow is not one of those like a plus plus premier star wars level brands but yeah. those of us who know it fucking love it yeah it could have been and if this, they would have given it more of a chance. Yeah, and this is a very authentic return to that universe. Mm -hmm. Like, the fact that one of my main complaints for episode two was we see Borman chewing on a stick, and I'm like, is it Blackroot? Exactly. <laughs> Just tell me if it's Blackroot! <laughs> See, and only people that have seen the movie would think that. Yeah. Lenore people would eh, he's just chewing on something. I All want right. a scene of a Lord dead and being given black root and being oh like, this God. is good. And I was like, yes! I remember this. <laughs> so, I, I, I want to stay on kind of the negatives before I hit the positives. Yeah. So, the only problem I had with the kiss, because mm -hmm. it was early in that first episode that Kit and Jade kissed. Yeah. I think they missed an opportunity. Like, I'm not against it. I wish they would have had a slower build... Because it was obviously there was feelings there. Mm -hmm. Had a slower build and then pulled the Mad Mardigan. Where like right before they go into a battle scene, Kit grabs her, pulls her in and gives her a kiss. Mm -hmm. Like he did with um, Sorsha mm -hmm. as, as the tent was collapsing on them. And it's like you had a golden opportunity for a legit member bear. Because the kiss seemed rushed and it's like... 
I wanted to feel this relationship play out a little more mm-hmm. before you just throw it in the faces. I felt like... See, I, I had almost the opposite reaction. I thought that it was good to put it in early because it establishes their relationship more firmly instead mm-hmm. of leaving it up to the audience to be like, will they, won't they? It's like, oh, no, this is clearly going to be a thing, mm-hmm. and we're just along for the ride. But even that, though, like they even though they had the kiss, it still didn't reaffirm the relationship at all because it kind of was one-sided. Well, it was it was... Uh, one person is leaving because the other person is leaving. Yeah. So Kit decides basically the night after their party goes bad to leave. Kit decides that they're gonna go, mm. and uh, Jade is already on in the process of leaving mm. to go and do her training, and so Kit's just decided to bail before that can even happen. And Jade tracks them down and, mm. and basically has this little heart to heart, and that's when the kiss happens. And then the gales show up. Well, no, wait so, a second. Didn't the kiss happen when Kit woke Jade up? They were, yeah, Am I Kit woke Jade thing? up and they were in Jade's room and Kit's trying to tell her why she's leaving and then she kissed Jade. Uh, so yeah, that's why right. Jade was a little like, you know, she just woke up. But that's why I was kind of like, and then they've never talked about it. Yeah. Like they had that scene where you kind of, where they were sleeping and it looked like they were holding hands. But it's like, I almost wish, like you don't need to spoon feed it. Like mm-hmm. I wish they would have let it grow naturally mm-hmm. and then had the big moment. Mm-hmm. In like a life or death situation, and then they kick. I I just think it was a missed opportunity. I can see that. You know what I mean. I can see that. I um, didn't mind it. I thought that it was it was well timed, and I'm I'm kind of over the will they won't they. I'd rather have yeah. the conversation up front, and then just have it be about the growth and change of their relationship. I can see that. I can see that too. Yeah. Um. But then it gets interrupted by some of the best villains mm-hmm. in any fantasy that I've seen since Lord of the Rings, the Gales. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. They are like I at first I was like maybe I'll watch this and see if my son could watch it. No, no. <laughs> they are terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like you were you were dead on when you said they have like very a lot of similarities to the Cenobites mm-hmm. because holy cow. There's a guy who has a bird cage that has a bunch of spikes pointed in towards yeah. his head. Like it's, this is some fucking penance the, shit. The character design of that reminded me of. In 300, when they brought in that yeah, giant, yeah. it looked very similar to that. Not yeah. as big. And not as kind of gross. Yeah. The, the the botched surgeries of 300 are my least favorite part of yeah, 300. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. Um, But I, I really love the Dude, design the of the Gales. the makeup effects. And the, oh and the feel of that whole fight where, like, you never felt like you didn't understand what was happening. Yeah. You could keep track of all the action and where everything was going. I do seem to remember it having a slightly anticlimactic finish, just in the sense of like, oh, I guess we're done. I guess the fight's over. But that was because they got Eric and left. Yeah. So it's they like they got what they were coming for, and that's yeah. why they even said they were here for him, which makes me really I want to know mm-hmm. why they came for. Where him. is this going? Because like there is that line that Eric has some of Bev Morda's evil in her. Yeah. Is that what this is building is he to? Going to become like her successor or yeah. is she going to possess his body because they said that Morta's spirit is still yeah. kind of like Voldemort it's still active it's still out there so it's like is she going to use him as a vessel yeah oh, I'm very curious to see where this is all going dude the, the villains in this are incredible yeah like even the possessed soldiers that unbelievable. was great like I had some complaints about episode 3 because at one point Ballantyne has infected the rest of his men yes he's sent by Sorsha to get Alora, not knowing that he's possessed sorcha doesn't know that he's possessed um but uh he of course is gonna go and do this because mm. it, it you know he was gonna do it anyway there's this scene where he's he's taken Alora mm. in the middle of the night and they finally catch up to him the rest of the fellowship catches up to him and they're like what are you doing 
And he's like, nothing, I'm following the orders of the queen. And they're like, uh, you don't look great. You look like your skin's sagging off of mm. your skull and like your eyes are sunken in and you don't look like you're really feeling that great. And all of a sudden, the rest of his legion appear. Mm. And you're just like, you got it. There has to be like a shot of them running behind a tree or something. Like I, But you're right. There were, there were some direct, and same thing with when um, What's-His-Face is coming up the well. Yes. And Borman's and all just suddenly at there. the top of the well. Yeah. No, there were there were definitely some editing issues in this third yeah. episode. It was still great. I love the episode. It was a great it, episode. But there were some editing issues. There were some serious editing issues. I just I felt like it needed a little bit of a stronger hand when it came to direction. Yes. Or it almost also felt like at times they were doing that thing that I do, where my thing is too long. Let me see if I can cut anything. I can't cut anything. Let me see if I can cut some, quote unquote, non-essential stuff, mm. which is actually essential, but we're going to call it non-essential. Yeah. So it's like, we're going to cut the shot of all the soldiers coming out because it tacks on five seconds mm. and we need those five seconds. So like, that's how it felt is that there were just some moments. There was a movie that did this where they were way over time mm. and they were like, what if we just cut out every, like there's 34 frames per second. What if we cut out the 30th frame mm. of those 34 frames and it looked like shit because of course it did because that's the way film works yeah and it, it just kind of felt like that of just like okay i just i feel like i need you guys to kind of tell me the the situation the scene a little better i'm mm -hmm. having a hard time a seeing what's happening and b getting a feel of where everything is and and where everyone is and at one point willow does this spell to bring all the smoke in and you're like, oh, this is going to build something. It's like, no, it allows all the villains to get away. And you're just like, wait, 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 wait. So what was the point of that then? Yeah. And it, okay. No, there was a couple of scratching moments. Yeah. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. It's very good. It's extremely good. I love the fact that they're weighing heavily on practical effects. Like when they mentioned the were rats, I'm like, oh, it's going to be some CGI. No. This is practical. I'm like, oh my, thank you so much. I didn't expect a two headed rat. I expected like a. <laughs> like a furry rat or something. Well, I expect kids like, what's a were rat? And he's like, it's exactly what it sounds like. And I'm like, so it's going to be a werewolf, but a rat, yeah. right? Like vermin from Marvel, like that kind of thing. No, it's a two headed rat that looks like it's straight out of Harryhausen's garage. Well, I was going to say, if you ever watch brain dead the, mm -hmm. or dead alive, whatever you want to call it, the Peter Jackson movie, they have the rat monkey that infects everybody, it looks so much like that. Like, mm -hmm. even the the uh, the effect of it, be, like, the model itself looked very similar to that. I did love the red eyes oh, in the dark. Coming down the hallway. Just good. Just that good stuff. That was so good. Just good stuff. I don't know. So, th there is one element that I, I looked at, and I was like, I don't love this. Which is, so, uh, Borman and Kit mm. are forging this uh, relationship, this friendship. Because Kit wants to know what happened to her dad. She thinks that... Mad Morgan just full on abandon all of them. Mm. It sounds like there's several different things that could have happened. Mad Morgan was sent by Sorsha to do something. Mad Morgan went off to find this breastplate called the something Curus. Mm. It's whatever. Uh, they just refer to it as the Curus, so we will too. Um, so he goes off to find this this armor, and Borman is with him. But Borman comes back and he doesn't. But also. He was supposed to take Alora Dannon away from the city, but also she's still in the city. So, like, there, there's a lot of things that we're told Mad Mardigan is doing. Yeah. And it's hard to tell which of them is true. So it makes sense that Kid is like, oh, no, he just fully abandoned us. So Borman is trying to, like, be like, no, he didn't abandon see, I'm you. I'm interested to see what Borman's arc is going to be. Because yeah. when they show up to the Slaughtered Lamb and there's all the graves, he knew. Yeah. That happened. He knows what happened. He knows what happened. Because there's no way he just marches them to that location. Yeah. And isn't aware of what's going on. Yeah. 
and it just like it's uh it really is a graveyard it's just a, a bunch of piles of stones over bodies yeah and i guess there was something in the cave behind the tavern so that's why they go that way because borman has to go and get it and it, what it is is it's just a little it almost looks like a star wars it's the tchotchke. magical it's like a key key that you put in the armor that yes. makes it indestructible yes but i'm just sitting there like you could so, just cast a spell. <laughs> like, you don't need like this little this little tchotchke that's gonna cast well, the spell for you. I'm wondering because when they mentioned that it was this former king's mother mm-hmm. who built it, like I'm wondering if she just if they just got like some magic from somebody or like something because she didn't seem like she was magical. She was a badass ironsmith, but I guess the like the the thing that confused me is that we haven't seen this kind of thing in Willow. Like we yeah. had the acorns which turned people to stone. But we haven't seen like this glowy device that makes something magical. Yeah. Like that that hasn't been part of the story. So like, you know, I'm just I'm wondering about this particular mm. inclusion. This is uh, it's not Crystal Scully, but it mm. is like one of those kind of like you were willing to take the Ark of the Covenant and uh, Shankara stones yeah. and all these other things. So you must be willing to take aliens. It's like I don't know that I'm willing to take aliens. It's like yeah. you you were willing to take the the dust of a thousand broken hearts and. You know, the bones tell me nothing and mm-hmm. High Aldwin and all these other things. You must be willing to take this. I'm like, I don't know. This, this, doesn't, yeah, this kind of clashes with the flavor you got. I'm interested to see where it goes from yeah. here. Yeah. I do love that Willow is High Aldwin. Yeah. And I was just sitting there. He he shakes the bones to find out what they should do next. And I was just sitting there because Laura Danning comes up to him and she's like, what does it say? And I'm just like, the bones tell you nothing. <laughs> yeah. That's what the bones. <laughs> Forget the bird. Follow the river. Like I, I was just I was waiting for so many callbacks. We didn't get any of them. It's okay. I can do them all myself. Yeah. But like we got little ones. We got little ones. Yeah, little ones. Which honestly, when he was shuffling through his bag to get the smoke, I thought he was gonna pull out those acorns. Yeah. Like I really thought that's what was gonna. No. Just kind of disappointed about that. Mm. But yeah. So it's a good show so far. Cannot wait for the rest of it. Um, if those of you listening have not seen the movie, it is on Disney Plus, and you, sh- it's it's mandatory yes. watching. Like you, it you, is my favorite Val Kilmer movie. Period. It's Mad Morgan is one of my favorite characters ever. He yeah, is so great. I would say it's my favorite. I was the only other one I could think of was Real Genius, which I I do. He love is Real great Genius. in Real Genius. He's it's really a fantastic good in Real movie. Genius. I just don't like Top Gun. Yeah. So he, Top Gun's not on my list, and then I don't like his Batman. Yeah. So it's like, well, what else is you're gonna? I guess. Heat, he was good in, but he was a bit part in Heat. So he was fine in Heat. Yeah. He wasn't the the star attraction. Heat. I think he was like the one Top guy Secret. That got also away. was great. That was one of his first. I haven't seen Top Secret. Top Secret, you guys. Yeah, that's great. But yeah, so you got to see Willow. Um, show's great. Now we're gonna move on. So we're gonna start. Um, this is the first week leading up to Christmas mm-hmm. that we're doing an episode. So we're gonna talk about a Christmas movie. Yes. New to Disney Plus or to Disney Plus Apple TV. Yeah, we're expanding is, our horizons. Yeah, Spirited. Starring Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell. And, and I gotta Spencer. say, pleasantly surprised by this movie. Okay. Because at first, I watched like the first like 20 minutes where I had to turn it off, so I saw like their first musical numbers. But then, once you get past their singing the first time, it does get better. And I don't know if their singing gets better, but you get used to it. So this is my thing. Okay. Is that this, I watched it today, and I've been spending all afternoon trying to figure out what is this what is this metaphorically mm. because this isn't a bad movie no i would give it a b minus like i wouldn't even give this I'm like in the b, b I, range b, I, b plus i was i i thought about giving it a c plus i was mm. like it's not bad enough to give it a c plus i just didn't really like it it's not a bad movie mm. but 
all of it rings very false to me. Mm. There's this, it, it almost feels like walking into a Mac store of like, everything is very polished and everything looks oh, the way yeah. it should. And you have all the big names and you got all the right people to write the thing and write the music and do the numbers. And all the numbers are like Broadway level numbers mm. and all this other stuff. And I just kept on finding myself being like, okay, this is going on. This yeah. is, this is a lot of production for a very mediocre mm. output. All right, so the synopsis, folks, is Will Ferrell is the ghost of Christmas present. present. And he's part of, like, the ghosts. It's, like, part of an organization. It's almost like They're R.I.P.D. Santa and the elves, but they're yeah. not Santa yeah. and the elves. So it's it's all these dead people that their job is, in a year, they have to pick somebody, re- research them, and then do the dickens haunting of them on christmas eve to fix their lives mm-hmm. and, and the idea is that if you fix one evil person the good that they put out the, in the world effect. will make more good exactly and so will ferrell after you get the initial one he's contemplating retiring which retiring for the ghost means they get to be alive again yeah which is go a, back which a, is kind of weird it's a subject that isn't really touched on yeah, or referenced not, or rationalized it's just kind of there and you're like okay you really hear of like other ghosts that have yeah, done that or anything like that you're like you hear about other ghosts retiring but you don't hear what happened to them or yeah. if they have any impact in this evil world cuz a lot of the movies about how evil the world has become yeah and i'm just like so are any of the retired ghosts like yeah. part of the evil? I don't so know. when they when they're we're looking for their next person, the uh, Jacob Marley, who is like the lead of the crew. Yeah, he wants to pick this hotel manager who's evil. But then um, Will Ferrell sees Ryan Reynolds' character, who plays a spin doctor, pretty much. Yeah, and he's a horrible human being. He's basically like his whole business is rage. Yes, is outrage online. So it's all about. You dig up something on a person, you release it at a very specific time, mm-hmm. and it gets them either notoriety or infamy. Mm-hmm. So you have, like, uh, the this, the big story that's going on is the reason he's in this hotel is he's been hired by... The Christmas Tree Association the, or whatever? The Farmers of Real Christmas Trees, yeah. as an association, have, have a convention, and he's going to do a, a keynote. Basically, he talks about how... To make Christmas right again, you have to engage people. And the best way to engage people is to make them angry. So you have to make it polarizing whether you have a real or fake tree. Mm. And Jimmy Fallon tells us that this is going according to plan. Mm. And meanwhile, there's a fight brewing that they've coordinated between Billie Eilish and Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. It's going to benefit both artists because now they're both in the news. And Ed Sheeran will apologize, but he'll apologize during the VMA. So it'll get blah, blah, blah. So like this is the rationalization of like... This is how he's evil, is mm. that he's putting out pain into the world in order to amplify things, whether it's good or bad. And Will Ferrell believes that if they can fix him, the ripples will be bigger than any ripples. Since he effect. has such a connection to Twitter and yeah, all these other everything. things, he'll be able to touch so much exactly. more than anybody else. So, But he's considered unredeemable uh, by Jacob Marley. Mm. And so they, they don't, the rest of the ghosts aren't really into it. The Ghost of Christmas Past is because she wants to bang ryan reynolds which she does which she does <laughs> um but so they they go back and forth on this and eventually they're convinced that this is this yes. is the way to go they start doing prep work on it they take the whole year and as we come up on christmas will ferrell is wandering around the office and somehow makes an accidental connection with octavia spencer uh-huh. so now she can see him which like nobody yeah. else can see him and so there's this whole back and forth with them and oh will they won't they what's going on there and 
So the haunting begins on schedule because Ryan Reynolds has informed his niece that in order to win class president, Mm. she should basically bomb this kid's Instagram from like two years ago saying that he hates homeless people. Mm. And so this kid's her opponent in the election. So now she's going to tweet out this video of him saying he hates homeless people and bada bing, bada boom, he's gonna, she's going to win the election. This is the evil thing that mm. he must repent for and, and stop from happening. And so we start the haunting and very quickly the ghost of Christmas past comes back and she's like, yep, he's great in bed. (laughs) And uh, she's like, can you do this for me? And so now Will Ferrell has to do both past and present. So you, you do the whole shebang and Ryan Reynolds isn't buying it. And there's a lot of musical numbers interlaced in there. Which the very first Ryan Reynolds musical number, I don't know if you would agree with me on this. Mm -hmm. When I watched it, I was like, this is, I got such a vibe of the Richard Gere one in Chicago when he's in the courtroom. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about doing the old, like, one-two tapping. Very much. Like, I felt like they were, the vibe was exactly the same in those numbers. This number categorized for me what I wanted the rest of the movie to be. Okay. So, when we meet the ghosts at the very beginning of the movie, they are just coming back from saving Rose Byrne. Rose Byrne, yep. And uh, some of the people are famous and some aren't. It's not actually Rose Byrne, but they have a Hall of Fame of everybody that they saved. And Dolly Parton is in the Hall of Fame yeah. of people that they've saved. Um, and again, just curious things I saw and I was yeah. like, huh. And um, we're not supposed to get any more information on it, but kind of like, huh. Okay, that's weird. Um, there are a few bad writing moments. There's an HR rep that comes in just to give some dialogue. And then they're like oh, you could have easily done this. And she's like, yep, I know. And she leaves. And it's like, so you, you can't mm. amend your own kind of lazy writing by saying, isn't this lazy writing? And mm. it's like, that doesn't make it so it's not lazy writing. Pointing it out doesn't make it better. It definitely was, in a lot of ways, a made-for-TV movie. Yes, yes. Made-for-streaming movie, let's say. But but the big thing is at the beginning of the movie, there's a bunch of new dead people yes. that come into the afterlife, and they're informed that the afterlife is a musical which is why there's so many musical numbers. Mm-hmm. And then we go to the hotel and Ryan Reynolds has this big musical number. And I'm sitting there like, that's weird because they just said the, it was a musical in the afterlife, but now he's performing like it's a regular musical. Is this diegetic? Is this non-diegetic? What's going on? And then it's revealed that's a fantasy. The entire thing didn't happen. And mm-hmm. he's just been giving this PowerPoint speech at the in the front of this, this room. And everybody still goes crazy like he was doing a musical number. But the rest of the world did not see the musical number. Mm-hmm. This was Will Ferrell's interpretation of what was happening. And that concept is never brought back. Yeah, <laughs> Every no, other musical number actually does happen. And I'm just like, but... Okay, but, like, shouldn't there be, like, this dichotomy between real world and afterlife mm. and, like, how the music... Like, there's some cool shit you could do. No? And it would just... that's We're never going to come back to that idea. It was obviously a fluff movie. I don't think they thought very deeply no. on anything. No, this was definitely one of those movies that was supposed to be a comedy, a musical, a holiday movie, first and second. But, like, there was never supposed to be... A, there's the morality tale yes. that you get out of any a retelling of, of Christmas Carol. Like, it's the same morality mm-hmm. tale. There's slight differences by the end, which we'll get to, but um, which was kind of the final nail in the coffin for me was mm-hmm. the end of this movie. But it's not a bad movie. It just, mm-hmm. it reminds me at one point, spoilers, I realized this immediately when they were talking because okay. you have this scene between Marley and the rest of the, the people on the board that uh-huh. are trying to decide who's going to be the next guy and Will Ferrell is pitching to do this guy, Ryan Reynolds, and uh, he keeps on getting rebuffed. And Marley says, he's unredeemable. And the ghost of Christmas present says, 
Well, there was one other guy that was unredeemable. I was like, oh, he's fucking Scrooge. He's fucking Scrooge. <laughs> See, I knew he was talking about Scrooge, but I was never 100% sure if he was I, I knew from that moment on Will okay. Ferrell was going to be Scrooge because they keep on saying, like, he didn't have indoor plumbing when he was alive. Mm-hmm. and He did dress. Yeah, he had all these other fashion, things. Yeah. And the one thing that, like, poked at me was he was wearing Converse for most of the movie. And I'm like, okay, why? Yeah. Like, the rest of it is historically accurate, but then you're wearing Converse. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just like these moments. I'm like, okay, but what's happening here? It it falls so often into that foible that Berger told us about all those years ago, mm. where if the movie, if you stop watching the movie to think about what's happening in the movie, mm. because the story either doesn't make sense or you don't buy it or it's too far fetched, mm. that movie has failed to keep your attention. And then at that point, it's never going to get that back. And I think that that happened a few too many times in this. There's this whole piece where after it's revealed that he's Scrooge, Mm -hmm. Christmas present in an effort to get Ryan Reynolds on board. Because even after seeing all these heartaches and pains from his past and running from his past, literally at one point, he still is very trenched in this idea that he Mm -hmm. will not change. So Will Ferrell's like, I'll show you my past. And I was the other unredeemable guy. And oh, I'm Scrooge. And there's this whole protracted, long (laughs) musical number Oh, good. good afternoon. Good afternoon, yeah. Which is about how good afternoon in Dickensian times was a curse. It like was F like you. saying, fuck you. Yeah. And it's just this ongoing, long, it was a long musical number with it was multiple enjoyable. dance breaks. I'm not going to lay. It, I, I did enjoy it. It wasn't bad, but like so many other elements of this movie, it needed to be shaved off. Yes, like about 25% of this needed to be shaved off. I think about 25% of this whole movie needed to be shaved off. Every scene, you could shave about 25% of that scene off and you wouldn't lose anything. I do love... The cameo during that scene. The Judy uh, Dench cameo. Yes, that was good. That, where they're even like, was that Judy Dench? Was that Judy Dench? Yeah. I loved that freaking cameo yeah. so much. Yeah. We're I gonna, like, that's amazing. I, I I didn't hate this movie. You know, I hated Holiday Special. Yes. I hated <laughs> Holiday Special. Holiday Special, I couldn't get five minutes in without wanting to yes. turn it off. I loathed it. This, I never felt like I needed to turn it off. But I also never felt like I was so on board that I needed to keep watching it. It was definitely one of those movies that I was watching mm. for this show. Like if I, I, I would have finished it. I would, it would not have turned off this movie. But I definitely would have fully forgotten about it yeah. two days later. Like it's just there's. I'm kind of the same. Like I enjoyed it, mm-hmm. but I don't know if I'll watch it again. Yeah. There was something different about Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell in this. Mm-hmm. Because lately, I've not been massively on board with them because they just play themselves in every movie. And the one thing I got from this, I don't know if you got this, they were still themselves, but they were just a tad bit different that they weren't annoying me. Mm -hmm. Because like when I saw Red Notice with Ryan Reynolds, I'm like, dude, he's just Ryan Reynolds. And it's just like the last like three movies he's made, I'm just like... It's just Ryan Reynolds. You know, he's Deadpool, it's Ryan Reynolds. But like this one, I don't know if it's like... He played the dr- dramatic parts really well in this. The parts where he's talking to his sister. Oh, my God. And when he's actively running away yes. from what's happened in his life. Those moments are great. Yes. The moment where he's rationalizing the the Christmas where his mother got him a puppy. Mm-hmm. And because he left the back door open, the puppy ran away before she could give it to him. Mm-hmm. 
And everybody, including the ghost of Christmas present, was like, there was never a puppy. She never got you a puppy. She got you a bowl with a name on it and then said the puppy ran away and it was your fault. She never got you a puppy. And he's like, well, but it taught me all these things. Mm. And it, it, like those moments were good. Yes. Because you get that kind of smarmy nature without it being obnoxious. There was exactly. a lot of Van Wilder in this kind of oh, like, yes. that smarmy, like not as charming Ryan Reynolds, but that's on purpose. Mm. You know, it's like. It's very interesting watching a Ryan Reynolds movie because I look at Adam Project and I look at Free Guy. Mm. And I like Free Guy so much more than Adam Project. And it's not because Adam Project is a bad movie or disappointing or anything. It's just that there's something about his acting mm -hmm. in Free Guy where it's like this is the choice he's made. Whereas in Adam Project, it almost feels like the director went to him and they were like, okay, so in this one, you're going to play yourself. Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, Free Guy was more like the Truman Show. Yeah. Very much so where you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, but there's still levels to it. Like, yeah. you can see the Ryan Reynolds in it, but there's levels to the character. But, like, even his Van Wilder aspects in this movie, I thought were some of the better written parts, like, where he uses his abilities to turn around the ghosts. Mm -hmm. And it's like, some of that was written well. Like, where it's like, oh, okay, like, this guy, I could really see him, like, doing that. There were... The, he's the, very persuasive. The, it's, he's very persuasive. I yes. will say there were a few moments... Where the ghosts would show the level of power that they have over him, mm -hmm. and I was just like, "You guys gotta start Doing knocking this heads, a more. Yeah, yeah. because he's not gonna stop until you start really knocking him around. Like that's yeah. the kind of guy he is. He's not gonna stop until you give him a good reason to stop. Mm -hmm. So the moment Will Ferrell freezes time and slaps him." Yeah. I was like, there should be so much more of this. Like, and that was one of the funnier parts of yeah. the movie, too. No, exactly. I was like, this is what I'm talking about. Is like, yeah. he is so, like, just entrenched in this idea of who he is that, like, you need to shake him out of it. And instead, the ghost kind of are like, no, but he has a point. And I'm like, mm. I, the ghost should not be like, he has a point. The ghost should be like, no, this is not acceptable behavior. Mm -hmm. I do appreciate, too, I don't know if you caught this, you probably did. When Will Ferrell becomes human again, and he's at the party, and he bumps into the guy dressed like Buddy the Elf. Yes, yes, I saw <laughs> that. that. He awesome. told me he looks like an idiot. <laughs> he looks like an idiot. I love that so much. Yeah, that was good. I was like, That's amazing. I was like, ah, we've come full yeah. circle. It's Will Ferrell's Christmas movie has become so ubiquitous that now we have references where mm -hmm. Will Ferrell runs into his character from his Christmas movie yeah. in his new Christmas movie, which is amazing. Um, I, I think my only real hard negative on this is I think it's. A little too much for young kids. This is not made for kids. It's not made for kids, but it's not... But it is made... You know what I mean? It's like, it's not made for kids, but it is made for kids. It's made for kids in the sense that it's it's not objectionable. No. In the same way that, like, you know, we, we, we both listen to music on the radio in our childhood. The amount of, of people that are just realizing what I'm a genie in a bottle means. Yeah. Like, kids, it'll go over their heads, yes. right, every time. But this felt more like it was written for late-stage Gen Z or uh, Gen Xers and mm. millennials. I like, that, that kind of felt like the range that they were shooting for where everything was kind of ironic and twisted and, mm. you know, everything. It, it's a take on a take on a take. Mm. Very and meta. Super meta. Yeah. And like that was one of the only things I, I don't I don't know it, the ending of this movie left me all out of sorts. Do you want to talk about the end of this movie? Let's talk about the ending. Okay, so the the movie builds to this point where Will Ferrell and uh, Ryan Reynolds are now friends. <laughs> like yes, this is you know it's still about saving Ryan Reynolds, but they've become friends more than adversaries. And Will Ferrell, in an effort to show how much he swears by Ryan Reynolds as a person 
uh, takes his quote-unquote retirement, which means mm. that he goes back down to Earth as a human. And thankfully, he doesn't just end up in Iowa or something. Like, he ends up in Ryan Reynolds' And apartment. he's all, also in love with Octavia Spencer. He's super in love with Octavia yeah. Spencer, which I did like that storyline. Yes, I thought I that that was really She cute. was really good. She was so she good was in the great, movie. Because she plays his, his like, right-hand person yeah. who is in charge has to of... to dig up all the dirt. Yeah, she has to dig up all the dirt yeah. and then hand it over. So she's the one that actually is facilitating his evil. Mm. Um, and that's kind of how the story ends, is the the, the ghost of Christmas future, mm. the tiny Tim in this situation, is the kid that Ren, Ren Reynolds's niece, is running against for student body president. After she tweets this, uh, this video of him saying he hates homeless people, he commits suicide. <laughs> Which was... That was dark. That was heavy. That got so dark. Yeah. So fast. Which I get. It's a Christmas carol. Yeah. It's going to get dark really fast. And so, like, there's a lot of comedy tracy morgan plays the ghost of christmas future mm-hmm. which is funny until it's not like i love tracy morgan i love tracy morgan there are just some moments where i was like if we could pull back on the humor five inches yeah because i don't believe anything that's happening like you get to the end of the ghost of christmas future bit and ryan rounds is saying all the things he's supposed to say but he clearly doesn't believe any of them and so well, he, he even flat out says he goes i did this but i'm not i'm not gonna change change. i'm going into work monday and i'm gonna do yeah exactly that's what happens is that he goes he he decides the one thing that he has to do is make sure that this kid doesn't kill himself so he needs to tell his niece not to tweet that video yeah but he's not going to change anything else and meanwhile when octavia spencer and will ferrell were hitting it off they walk around new york they have Mm -hmm. a nice little musical number and during that will ferrell talks about how it's the decisions you make that really tell you what kind of person you are and so octavia spencer goes to the niece and says don't do this thing yes and then there's this comedy of like they're on an ice skating rink so they keep tripping over each other they keep falling she's gonna tweet oh my god we gotta stop it and then it's revealed that octavia spencer stepped in and said no she didn't tweet it because i told her not to tweet it because you're i'm not gonna have her be evil yes and so i'm sitting there and i'm like so this was for nothing (laughs) because ryan reynolds actions did not stop this from happening ryan reynolds did not learn anything from this he Mm. tells us so and in fact, if he had done nothing in this situation, if he had stayed in his apartment and been locked in, it still wouldn't have happened because yeah. Octavia Spencer would have stopped it. So what was the purpose of any of this? And then there's one more musical number. And then Ryan Reynolds dies. <laughs> Which I am happy they didn't pull the, oh, well, he's reformed. We'll just let him live. They almost did. They was close. But he died. They So the, the musical number is after Ryan Reynolds has this moment where he says, I'm not going to change this person. Mm. Will Ferrell leaves. And so Ryan Reynolds runs after him and they're talking in the street and they're having this hushed conversation. And so Will Ferrell decides that he's had enough and he's he can do more good as a ghost than he can as a person. Mm. So he goes and steps in front of a bus and Ryan Reynolds knocks him out of the way of the bus and time stops, mm. which is how you know when a person has been fully redeemed. And... They're like, okay, we're going to go have a party. And they're like, no, let's do one more musical number. And so they do one more musical number. Mm. And then at the end of the musical number, Ryan Reynolds ends up in front of the bus <laughs> and gets hit by the bus. But during the musical number, they keep telling us that he hasn't learned anything, mm-hmm. that he's not going to change as a person. And that's okay, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it, even if we're all evil inside, as long as we don't act on evil intentions, we don't have to be good. And I'm just sitting there like, I don't think that was the point of this story, guys. I'm not saying everybody has to be 100% good. You're doing this weird Sith rule where you're either all good or all evil. And, Mm. like, that's kind of the message of the story. It's like, oh, but there's this gray zone in between of good and evil. And that's where we all actually live. And I'm like, I guess. Mm. But at the end of this 
movie, you still have this asshole being an asshole who hasn't learned anything and whose actions haven't actually developed anything in the story itself. So what was the purpose of all this? And then he dies and Marley basically comes to him and says, well, we can't have you live. <laughs> you can't go through all of this, yeah. learn nothing and live. So he becomes the new ghost of Christmas present. Yes. And Will Ferrell is now living his life in the suburbs. And he uses Will Ferrell as like reference. Like he'll a, a come, dude, he he'll come and issue, hang out. He comes and hangs out. Yeah. And he's, they're still buddies. And it was, it was weird. The ending was weird. Yeah. I had a very mixed feelings because if this movie was an hour and a half long, yeah. Uh, still had roughly as many musical numbers yeah. and all that jazz. Like, fine. You cut out one or two of the musical numbers, which they pretty much did because a lot of the musical numbers start and then are cut off as jokes. Yeah. Where it's basically like, we're going to do a musical number. And some character's like, don't do a musical number. Mostly Marley. It's Mostly like, Marley. No, 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 no. And then they're like, we're going to do a musical number. And then he's like, fine, I'll give you what you want. Just don't do the musical number. And it's like, we're not going to do the musical number. And it's like, okay. But then you do it in the credits yeah. anyway, so it's like you still did the musical number, and it was by far the biggest and splashiest of oh, yeah, all the musical numbers. Absolutely. Quite literally splashiest. No. Um, it just, it it really felt like someone who said, okay, to be successful, we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this, and we need to do this, and we need to do this. And they did all of those things, but much like Ryan Reynolds' arc in the movie... All of it rings false. Mm. And I don't buy any of it. I don't buy that he dies and becomes this good person who set out to try and do good in the afterlife. I don't buy any of it. Mm. Like, even at one point, Scrooge is explaining his rise into being Ghost of Christmas Present, where he, like, he talks about how he was alive, and then he died, and then he spent 10 years working as a low-level person, and then the Ghost of Christmas Present retired, and he got the job. But it was a big deal that he got the job. And meanwhile, Ryan Reynolds, who is, we're told, all over this movie, far worse yeah. than than Will Ferrell is, immediately gets put into this position of the Ghost of Christmas Present. And his whole thing is like, we're going to save everyone all at once. Mm. And Marley's like, we don't have the people to do that. And he's like, get out of the way, old man. We're going to do it. And I'm like... See, the one thing I didn't understand about that whole timeline thing is Will Ferrell had said he'd been dead for like 200 years. Yeah. But he did 10 years... And they said this was his 46th season, mm -hmm. and each season is one year. Mm -hmm. It's 56 years. So I was like, "Where is? where's the disconnect here? Like, And like they say that the Ghost of Christmas Past has only been doing this for like 20 or 30 years or something. Something like that. Like there's a lot of just weird stuff. I wish that they had done more with the Ghost of Christmas Past because it becomes this whole thing of Ryan Reynolds is too hot for me to do my job. Mm. So I'm going to sleep with him and then have someone else do my job. And then there's going to be a bit at the end of the movie where I'm, like, I'm living with Ryan. They're Reynolds. living together, yeah. And it's like, okay, I get it. Mm. I, I get what you're doing, but I feel like this character, kind of an important figure within the body of the story, you might want to do mm. anything with them instead of doing nothing with them. Like, she didn't even have an interesting costume. She looked like she was also in her bed gown. No, pretty much. Like, I, I just, I was so baffled by some of the decisions here. I think the thing keeping me, and once again, I, I'm going to stick to the B. Because I think it's, it was, like, I enjoyed it. But I think the thing that's going to keep me from watching it again is that the tone was all over the place. Yeah. And I think that was the biggest problem with this movie. It's like the tone, I don't know, like, half the time it's like, man, I, like, it's bummed. And then you're, like, laughing. And then it's like, I don't know what's going on. The tone almost seemed to be musical. What's the tone of this? It's a musical. Yeah. That's the tone of it. Okay, but is it sad? It's a musical. Okay, but yeah, it, it is it about redemption? Exactly. It's a musical. That's not anything. Like, I get it. 
But there are musicals that are just sad, and there are musicals that are just uplifting. And yeah. there, there's a whole wide range. You can't just say it's a musical and have that be everything. Like yeah. I need to know a lot more about what's going on. Because like the scenes, what, like we said before, the scenes with his sister in the hospital are it's fucking good. They're so They're fucking good. Phenomenal. And he plays this great asshole. Like this. There's this moment where he comes in and he gives his niece a present and she says, can I go donate it? Yeah. And the mom's like, oh, that's a great idea. There's a donation bin. You can go right here, you know, make sure you get help. And he's like, yeah, great. I don't know why I had it wrapped. Mm -hmm. You go do whatever you want with it. And then she asks him to raise her daughter when she dies and he pretty much blows her off and grabs his brother. His brother walks in at the exact same time. Yeah. Dude, that was a heavy scene. It was a very heavy scene. And I just, I felt like there was an opportunity Mm. to nail out some of these ideas more. And instead, they decided what was really important was to have 24 musical numbers Mm. in this thing. And I was just like, "Ah, you can cut several of these numbers Mm. out of this. Not because they're bad, but because they don't add anything to the plot. Mm -hmm. And it really does get to the point where the characters start rolling their eyes about how many musical numbers there are. And it's like, I get it. You're doing this meta comedy thing, and, and it's it's supposed to be funny because even you know there's too many musical mm. numbers. But at some point, I have to sit here. If I'm doing this as a teacher and I'm grading, I have to sit here and say, so you knew what the problem was. Mm. And instead of addressing the problem, you decided to lean into it and then have it be a joke that it's the problem. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I can see what you're doing. I don't know if it works. And it ultimately... Is frustrating because this did not need to be two hours. There's not two hours of movie yeah, here. Yeah, two hours and like four minutes is really it's long. It's way too long. That was really long. It's way too long. And when you watch it, they reference a Christmas movie that I watched a thousand times more than this, and that's Scrooged. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of beats that are similar to Scrooged. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know why you would bring that movie up. You know, I know you want to be that whole breaking the fourth wall and like referencing things that happen, but it's like, People will, if they've not seen Scrooge, go watch it and then be like, this is a much better movie. I'm going to watch this one every year instead of Spirited. Yeah, I just, I look at this and I say, it's not bad, but none of the songs have a Christmassy feel to them. None. Like you watch Muppet Christmas Carol, every song has a Christmassy feel. And not just because they talk about Christmas. The song about Scrooge being in Miser and and kicking people out of their homes is Christmassy. You know, it's Mm. about winter and how cold it is. Like there's so much here Mm. in so many other adaptations of the exact same piece and here they added a bunch of of circuitry and stuff to it Mm -hmm. but i don't know that any of it actually amplified the work at all instead Mm -hmm. it just kind of ended up being this distraction and you kind of just sit there being like okay i mean this is funny in concept but an execution it just kind of wears on you after a while i would agree yeah i would agree with that all right folks we're going to do one quick thing before we go um, Al has a new game. Yes. So explain to the listeners this game, sir. So me and Kelly were, we've started watching our Christmas movies. Nice. And we were joking about one of my favorite lines is it's not Christmas until Hans Gruber falls from Nakatomi That's Tower. Right. Absolutely. And we were talking about it and going back and forth. And I realized that you could do this for a lot of Christmas movies and it becomes very fun. Mm-hmm. So it's not Christmas until Michael Caine is tormented by Muppets. It's not Christmas until Yukon Cornelius conquers the abominable snowman oh, the bumble. and gets his tooth taken out. Yeah. That's it. It's not Christmas until the bumble gets his tooth taken out. Yes. And so, like, we're just going to play a, a quick version of this, which is there's no points. There's no winning yes. or losing. It's just 
how many of these idiotic, stupid things can you think back to and be like, oh, yeah, that's when Christmas starts. So it's not Christmas until Ralphie shoots his eye out. Exactly. It's not Christmas until... I've been trying to come up with one for Die Hard 2. It's very hard. It's not Christmas until you realize why the Machine Gun magazines have blue tape on them. Ah. See, for that one, I would say it's not Christmas until you realize the T-1000 is one of the henchmen. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, he is. He is. He is. Um, how about it's not Christmas until Clark Griswold fries the cat with his tree? It's not Christmas until... And then I got to think of a Christmas movie. I had like two dozen of these. Mm-hmm. I had them all. And I've just... They've all just kind of whisked out of my brain in the last week. Uh, it's not Christmas until... How about it's not Christmas until Arnold Schwarzenegger punches a reindeer? Yeah, that's a good one. Thank you. It's uh, not Christmas until Phil Hartman steals the cookies. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let go of the cookies now! Uh, it's, it's not Christmas till Hawkeye has blown up the tree at Rockefeller Center. Oh, look at you going deep on that mm-hmm. one. More recent this More year. More recent. Thing. It's not Christmas until... The Doctor Who Christmas special comes out. That was going to be my next one. Was It's not Christmas until the Doctor saves uh, Albus Dumbledore from swimming sharks. Which, to point that out, folks, for those of you who are unaware, Doctor Who, up until recently, was known for doing Christmas specials. Mm -hmm. They would do these one-off specials. My favorite Doctor Who episode ever was a Christmas special. It was the Peter Capaldi one, uh, The Husbands of River Song. That is, for those of you who have never watched Doctor Who... As long as you know the baseline that he's an alien, travels through space and time, travels in this box called the TARDIS, that is the best standalone episode where you really don't need to know much about the Doctor. Because no. a lot gets explained, and it is so entertaining. And it has the best ending ever. And unlike the Guardian's Christmas special, you never spend a moment being like, why are they celebrating Christmas on Saturn? Yeah. That's never a question that rises in your mind. Yes. It's just not an issue. Um, it's not Christmas until the Grinch almost throws everything away. Mm. It's not Christmas until Jim Carrey's Grinch shits on my childhood. Yeah. It's, it's, (laughs) it's not Christmas until Tim Allen commits manslaughter. Oh, nice. That's a good one. It's not Christmas until Gina Davis flashes Samuel L. Jackson. I don't know this one. Is that what is A Long that? Kiss Goodnight. Really? Great, great action movie. <laughs> Ronnie Harlan directed. Mm-hmm. Stars Gina Davis as like a La Femme Nikita type spy. Mm-hmm. And Samuel L. Jackson plays like this bail bondsman kind of scummy dude. Mm-hmm. Awesome movie. It's not Christmas until Chewbacca's dad watches weird 3D holographic porn on an Oculus. Wasn't it uh, Donna Summers? I think so. Yeah, she was singing yeah. the... Oh, my God. <laughs> that is... That's messed up. Oh, my God. That's so messed up. So this is a fun game you can play with your friends this holiday season. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be able to sleep tonight because I remember how creepy that was. It's bad. It's really bad. It's still bad. better than the Guardians Christmas special, it's though. It's still better. Somehow Light Day is still better than the Guardians Christmas special because, at least, Light Day has Boba Fett mm-hmm. and that's that's literally it 
unless you've got some hardcore lumpy fans out there that are just mm-hmm. like, oh, fuck yeah, lumpy's my favorite character. Like, you know there's some idiot out there who's like, yeah, fucking lumpy. Mm-hmm. God damn it, lumpy's great. It's like, you're just saying that because you want to piss people off. I can already tell. How about, how about this one? It's not Christmas until the sadistic Kevin McAllister tries to kill two human beings. It's not, it's a, <laughs> it's not Christmas until... Kevin McAllister knowingly lures them into an abandoned building to kill them even harder. There's some good ones. Uh, oh, it's not Christmas until uh, Mickey Rooney dresses up in a red suit and comes to town and delivers. Uh, the Santa Claus comes to town, the claymation. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. How about it's not Christmas until a judge proclaims that Chris Kringle is Santa Claus. Santa Claus, Claus is real. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not Christmas until a snowman is taught all the values of life and have it taken from him immediately. How about it's not Christmas until you see the sequel to a beloved classic and Donald Trump makes you puke in your mouth? Yeah. Yeah. Home Alone 2. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one you can't even lean back and be like, well, Tim Curry's in it. It's like, that's not enough. It's oh, not Tim enough. Curry. I'd love Tim Curry. I, I remember watching. Home Alone a few years ago and being like, God damn, I forgot how good a movie this is. And then we watched Home Alone 2 a little while later and I was like, God damn, I remember exactly how mediocre a movie this is. Funny story, and this is a little tangent. When Home Alone first came out, it came out the same time as Dances with Wolves. Mm -hmm. And my grandfather, who's big into westerns, he was taking me to see Dances with Wolves. So we get to the theater and there is a line around the building and he's like, Oh my God, are these people out here for Dance with Wolves? I'm like, no, Grandpa. We get in there. There was one other person in the theater for Dances with Wolves. There were three theaters open for Home mm-hmm. Alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, what the hell is this movie? I'm like, you don't even want to know. You don't even know. Yeah. Uh, it's not Christmas until Hallmark has given Lori Laughlin one more chance to act in something. Nice. Oh, that's an evil one, too. Mm-hmm. It's not Christmas. Until Christopher Walken pushes Michelle Pfeiffer out a window. Oh, which one is that one? I Batman don't know. Returns. Oh, yeah. I forgot that's a Christmas movie. Yeah, but it takes place at Christmas. <laughs> and he's the boss, pushes her out the window. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> that is a Christmas movie. That I definitely counts. That one. Oh, I'm oh about man. That. Oh, it's good. It's good. It's a good yeah. game. I can't think of any more off the top of my yeah, head. Yeah, I... We we already lost all our listeners halfway yeah. through that anyways. That was fun. But it's that a was fun, fun. game. I, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna come back every week if I have See, any more. I think that game would be really fun to do with some adult beverages. Oh, definitely. Getting that like a yeah. little little tips. Like every time you think of one, you take a shot or something. Yeah. You know, something fun. Yeah, Some, that would something be fun. to get something to get the juices flowing this Christmas. Well, I season. tell you what, this episode got my juices flowing. This was a great episode, episode eighty-two in the books. Mm-hmm. Once again, NerdPod Generations. We are a weekly podcast talking about everything that has to do with pop culture. Uh, please, if you have listened to us for the first time, let your friends know. Let everyone know. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you want to know a little bit more about us individually, you can look me up at staylorbooks.com. It's not Christmas until George Bailey decides not to kill himself. There you go. You can find me at JudsonStudios.org under the Bronx Division tab. And we will see you next week. We'll see you next week, friends and enemies. It's going to be a grand one. Oh, I can't wait. Way of Water. We're going to find out. Or, if you're ABC, The Way of the Water. Which I still wonder if they got pissed off about that. I think they might That was a Monday Night Football snafu. I wish I I was in that boardroom the next day being like, you called it twice. (laughs) You said it twice. (laughs) All right, have a great week, friends and enemies.